Well, Vermin, I have one more question to ask yes. you. And yes, it's sir. very important, a serious one. If you're running for the Libertarian Party ticket, I am. how would you handle Aleppo? Um, well, uh, Aleppos are my favorite type of ponies. <laughs> oh, no, so, there we go. Uh, we would ride our zombie-powered Aleppo ponies <laughs> all the way into the future. Welcome, everybody, to the New Hampshire Results Edition of the Politics, Politics, Politics program. My name is Justin Robert Young, joining you from the Best Western Plus in Manchester, New Hampshire. We got a hell of a show here for you today. Obviously, we're going to break down all the results. We are going to have an interview with Andrew Heaton. Obviously, the top line is this. Bernie Sanders gets his first undisputed win of this season. The first in the nation goes to him. Uh, it is not lost on me that we have official results from New Hampshire before any of the major media outlets have called Iowa. Pete Buttigieg comes in second. And folks, it's a close second. Round two points. And by the end of the night... It looked like Pete might have even been making a bit of a contest. He runs out of gas, a second place for him. Although technically, by how things have been allocated, he remains your delegate leader. The story begins in third place with Amy Klobuchar. Klobmentum for real. If you were on the PX3 Extra feed, then you heard what it sounded like to be inside that rally in Exeter where... I had never heard her as confident, as funny, as I heard her there. That was the most confident and funny speech I have seen of the primary cycle, at least in Iowa and New Hampshire, of the candidates that I have seen. She is rewarded not only with a strong showing, and she was, you know, it was it was going to be an achievement for her to beat some of the more entrenched candidates like Joe Biden, Tulsi Gabbard to spend a lot of time here. But no, she rockets into third place. And by the end of the night is four or five points off of Pete Buttigieg for second. That's a huge overperformance. And we will discuss that more with Neil Lebeck. What I want to talk about up top is something that I find to be genuinely annoying. I've, I, I think it is kind of gross, to be honest. And, and I'm not being funny here. I know that 99.9% of the time I'm being funny on this show, and, and I certainly have joked a lot about Joe Biden, and I'm going to joke more, right? But, but I, I want to let you know that there is an undercurrent of sincerity here. Because while I have been leading the, the, the shorting of the Joe Biden stock, I have said on this show, I have said on Twitter that I believe he's going to drop out before South Carolina. He pulls a move yesterday that I thought was cowardly. Cowardly. 
He pulls a move yesterday where he knows he's going to lose. He knows that going out and and as as the PX3 Extra listeners heard, uh, 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 calling somebody a lying dog-faced pony soldier, which was the least weird part of that meeting, the fact that he can't get press, the, can't get, the fact that he doesn't have any issues, the fact that his crowds are, are dwindling. With all that being said, he can't stay in New Hampshire and watch these results. Now, there's one thing about strategically avoiding a state. And if, let's say, you look at your numbers after Iowa, and you're like, ah, Man, we're going to get our ass kicked here, too. Let's just punt. Let's just punt. Let's cancel that flight from Des Moines to Manchester, and let's go right to Charleston. Let's go right to Columbia. Let's go right to Vegas. Let's go right to Reno. These are the Nevada and South Carolina caucuses that are going to come up after this. If that's what you do, then fine. Because at the very least, what you are doing is sparing your volunteers from going out and doing all your events, sparing your New Hampshire staff from from humiliating themselves and spending all their time. Maybe they can do uh, uh, something that that helps you somewhere else. Maybe you can reallocate the staff that that is not local but national somewhere else that could actually help your cause. That would be strategic. Or you could run in New Hampshire. You could realize that you weren't going to win, and then you could stand up as a test of leadership and say, you want to know what? Even when you don't get the result that you wanted, you still got to be here for people because leadership is not only being there for the wins. Leadership is being there for the losses so you know how to build going forward. That's what a leader does. A leader recognizes the fact that they are at the top of a structure and they are only at the top of that structure because of the people that are below it. Here's what Joe Biden did. Joe Biden ran here the entire time from Iowa to this this vote, right? When, when theoretically now you would be making these either strategic or leadership decisions. And then hours uh, before the polls close, he leaves. He leaves. He goes to South Carolina and he Skypes in to his own quote unquote italicized victory party. That is insulting. That is gross. Joe Biden should drop out of this race. Not because of all the reasons that I said before, when I, I, I think that, you know, let's play the hits. He's a failed presidential candidate once, twice, three times a Biden. This is the third. Now, kudos to him. He's lasted longer in this particular incarnation than he has ever before. But as it was pointed out on Twitter by CNN's Chris Saliza, that man has run three times and has yet to win a primary or caucus. Let's then look at some of the polls now. He has fallen out of the lead nationally, which at this point I think we can all agree was mirage. His support with black voters is radically eroding. He lost half of his black support between the last time I talked to you and now. And he's taking two hilarious losses, one in Iowa and one in New Hampshire. 
His staff is leaking about him into the press. These are the signs of a dying campaign. But folks, let's be serious. Not a joke. I'm not being facetious. He needs to drop out because if you are not able to face the music with your volunteers, with your staff, with your voters. I mean, think of these people. These people, everybody I just mentioned that were supportive of the Biden campaign. Let's imagine all the stuff that they've had to do. All the volunteers that had to talk to people, that had to knock on doors. And when, when somebody said, oh, Joe Biden, isn't he the reanimated corpse of that guy on TV from four years ago? You have to say no. He's a seasoned professional politician. He is the person that needs to beat Trump, that needs to run our country. He is the man who deserves your vote. Those were the volunteers. And then the organizers who had to make sure that everybody was corralled in and, 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 and make sure that everything was set up, had to print out their paper press passes. Like, all those people, those were the folks who had to actually take the slings and arrows. For whatever humiliation that Joe Biden thought he was avoiding last night, it was on the backs of everybody who supported him here in New Hampshire, either on a professional or personal level. And he ditched them. So he can kick the can down the road and lose in yet another state. Not only is New Hampshire over for Joe Biden, everything's over for Joe Biden. Politics. I'm here at the New Hampshire Institute of Politics on the campus of St. Anselm, right? Close enough. And I'm here with <laughs> Professor Chris Galdieri, right? Is that yes, correct? That's right. Fantastic. We're going, this, this is amazing so far. Uh, obviously, you guys are just a hub of uh, uh, politics here in New Hampshire, specifically every four years when the uh, presidential uh, primary happens. So let's break down the results of what happened last night. What is your top line coming out of uh, uh, the primary? Okay, it's, it's tough to break down to one thing coming out of this primary. I think, you know, the, the headline is Sanders won and a win is a win is a win. Yeah. Um, but... It's also Especially not, in this season, yes, when, yes. when, when so, a win yeah, may or may we, we not have been a win in Iowa. votes last night, and we know who won, and it's only Would, would you like to offer a not-so-humble booyah in, in the direction of Iowa, considering you have been certified by major media <laughs> institutes, and they have yet to be? I, I actually don't want to spike the ball, um, just because as a, a partisan of the New Hampshire primary, yeah. I just don't want any of the early states to screw up the way Iowa did. Yeah. I think it's best for everybody if all the elections go pretty smoothly. Um, but, um, so Sanders won. But if you look at his at the vote totals and the margins, uh, it is the lowest winning percentage in a contested Democratic New Hampshire primary um, ever, as far as I'm aware. Oh, wow. It's also, it's only like, I think, 26%. Uh, that's lower than Jimmy Carter's 28 and change back in 76. Um, and then his margin of victory over Pete Buttigieg is well under 2% at this point. Um, yeah. As of this morning, I think it was around 1.5, 1.6%. And again, that's really narrow. Um, Hillary Clinton 
uh, I think, held the previous record in 2008. She beat Barack Obama by something like 2.8% or 2.9%. And that was a big upset. So that was. That was. She had just lost the Iowa caucus. She hadn't yeah. just lost. She placed third in the Iowa caucuses. Um, and I think everybody was sort of thinking Obama was going to wrap it up in New Hampshire. That obviously is not what happened. But what did happen is a very long, drawn-out, delegate-by-delegate fight. And I think it's entirely possible that we'll see something like that again this year. Except in that case, you had two obvious front runners and then a satellite in uh, John Edwards who dropped out you know, reasonably close to mm-hmm. those first opening contests. Here, we have no idea what's going to happen. So, so, so let's, let, let's talk about some yeah. of the yeah. people uh, let, let, the, that came in second and third. Pete Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar. Amy Klobuchar was obviously the bigger surprise, so we'll start with her. How... How did club momentum manifest here <laughs> when it didn't in Iowa, where theoretically she'd be a much stronger candidate from a neighboring state? Right. That was her pitch, right? I'm from Minnesota. I understand Iowa, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. That didn't happen. Um, but I think she did a couple of smart things on the night of the caucuses. She was the first of the top five to come out and make a statement. She kind of declared victory, even though there was no victory I was there, so I was there in that room, Mm -hmm. and uh, I thought I was going to the end of the Amy Klobuchar campaign, assuming that a fifth-place finish in Iowa would pretty much be a wrap for her. Instead, she declares nobody won, (laughs) right, and just hightails it to to New Hampshire. But you're saying that at that point, she at least just declares, this isn't over, I'm coming to New Hampshire, and then uh, just rolls the dice uh, as to what what else is going to happen. Right, and she, you know, basically she uses that to introduce herself to the country, so everybody who hasn't been paying that much attention but tunes in for the Iowa results sees, oh, this senator from Minnesota is, is, I like her, I like what she's saying, I like her style, something like that. Um, She then put her entire campaign staff on a chartered flight to New Hampshire that night, Okay. uh, and suddenly she had a lot more bodies on the ground. Uh, She did, like, you know, any event she could get to, as much media as she could possibly fit in, and then she had a very strong debate performance last Friday. Uh, So suddenly money starts coming into her campaign in the final stretch when you need it, and you know she had some luck and some other people were fading and there were a lot of undecided Democrats going into primary week, Um, and I think a lot of wavering Democrats who weren't sure about all these candidates looked at her, Um, and she makes a lot of sense as a as a potential nominee, right? She's from an important state in the Midwest, mm-hmm. uh, in a region of the country that Democrats need to improve on their 2016 performance in. Um, she's a woman, which is appealing to Democrats who feel like, you know, sexism uh, is part of the reason Hillary Clinton lost in 2016 and that it's long past time for there to be a woman president. Um, she's got totally normal experience. She's a third term senator. She's run really well in Minnesota three times. Um, so again, if you're if you're a Democrat who hadn't fallen in love with any of the other candidates, or if you liked a lot of candidates and were looking for something to put you over the top, all those things combined with a good debate Friday worked in her favor. So you mentioned fading candidates, mm-hmm. and this is something that I'm I'm very interested in because I believe from the ground in Iowa that the Pete boom came as the Biden fade became more apparent Mm -hmm. as voters realized that Biden is maybe not the man that he was four years ago. Uh, uh, He is a different kind of candidate. Mm -hmm. He does not look strong. That's where the Pete thing happened. I'm guessing that that's probably the same here. And that's part of the Klobuchar boom is that we saw two moderates that were up there fairly close to the winner last night. And I don't think it's it's a coincidence that, that Biden fell off the map and had to run out of town. Yeah, I, th- I think that's right. And um, 
you know, Buttigieg, uh, you know, he brings the, he's very young. Like he's, I think the youngest plausible candidate. Uh, 37, yeah. 37, 38, something like that. So I can, I can say he seems like a nice young man. Yeah. Uh, and I'm 45. Um, <laughs> you know, he, but he's, you know, he's from the Midwest. He's got an unconventional resume. There are people that appeals to, um, and yeah, so I think you, if, if, you know, if he reminds you of Barack Obama or if he reminds you of John F. Kennedy or something like that, um, if you're the kind of Democrat who goes shopping for the newest version of the previous model, right? Yeah. And you're like, I like the last Mazda 3 I bought, so I want to so get the there we go. One. Yeah. Um, you know, I can see where he sort of fits into that. And I think for, for Biden, by contrast, you know, his appeal was always sort of a restorationist campaign. Vote for me and I'll get things back to normal. I'll, you know, turn back the clock as hard as yeah. I can to January 19th, 2017. And if he'd been 10 or 15 years younger, I think that could have been a really plausible um, strategy. But as you said, um, you know, he, the campaign just never figured out what it wanted to be. It never really figured out what its message was. And it wasn't helped by a candidate who, um, you know, for all of his years in Democratic politics, just had a hard time you know, putting together a message that defined his events. You know, you go to yeah. see uh, Elizabeth Warren, you go to see Bernie Sanders, you come away from there knowing exactly what they're talking about in their campaign. Um, and I think even, you know, folks like uh, Mayor Pete or Amy Klobuchar, um, it's not quite as clear, but you come away with a sense of who they are and what they want. You know, like uh, Mayor Pete's always talking about bringing the country together. Yeah. Klobuchar says, well, I'm, I get things done. I'm practical and that sort of thing. And this might be the year that that sort of thing works as opposed to seeming, you know, less exciting than you know, yeah. a bright, shiny <laughs> Medicare for all or something. Um, but I think Biden, uh, for all his, ex all his experience, never quite you know, nailed down, you know, what is the takeaway for somebody who comes to see my event? What are my TV ads about? You know, what, what's defining this candidacy? And that, I think, can be deadly when you have as many candidates as you had running this year. Was he hurt by impeachment? I don't know. Um, I think he might have been. Um, I think part of what might have happened there is that, you know, and again, there's really no indication that anything illegal or unethical actually happened sure. in terms of in trying to interfere with anything in Ukraine. And if we're going to say that a prominent person's child can't take a pretty lucrative job for not a whole lot of work, well, you're going to have an awful lot of unemployed <laughs> uh, senators and congressmen's uh, sons and daughters yes. and spouses and brothers and brothers-in-law and sisters and sisters-in-law all over Washington, D.C., um, but I think it's possible that a lot of Democrats, you know, just started thinking back to 2016. They're traumatized by her emails yeah. and thinking, oh, my God, I don't want this to be a campaign where we think things are going well. And then eight days before the election, the New York Times front page is about nothing but Hunter Biden and yeah. Ukraine and this energy company. And he, and is, so he is a uniquely explosive target. Because I, I, I think, I mean, in terms of salacious news that will capture people that will turn heads in a diner if you say it too loud. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, there, there's a lot. And there's even stuff that, that isn't, like, widely publicly known right, that right. is out stuff there. Sort of, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, without, you know, uh, you know trying to, to pick on anybody or anything, I think, you know, a lot of Democrats might have said, you know, I just can't go through that again. I just well, want to find somebody who's, you know, where there's nothing in their background like that. And that's 
you know, oh, Mayor Peak, he's too young to have anything sure. uh, like that come up, for instance. And, and you know, you have Bernie and Warren that are talking about corruption. We need to get corruption out of politics. This mm-hmm. is a systemic problem. You have Mayor Pete that's saying we need to turn the page. Nobody's saying, Joe Biden, you are unelectable because of Hunter Biden or because of Burisma. But everybody's kind of hinting around general problems that they want to fix by their election. Yeah, yeah. And I think that gets at one of the things that is difficult for voters in primary elections, right? You're not just deciding, you know, between a Democrat and a Republican and, oh, I like the, you know, I like the Democrat more, so I vote for them. Uh, no problem. You don't have easy contrasts in a primary. Yeah. Tom Steyer kind of accidentally told the truth in the debate Friday when he, said, <laughs> he probably he probably meant accidentally is a pejorative word to use. Sure. But um, where he said, you know, we all agree. We all agree on abortion. We all agree on health care being more accessible and more secure for everybody. Um, and that's part of why voters, you know, run into trouble in primaries, because you're not deciding between, well, this candidate will raise taxes and this candidate will lower taxes, or this candidate will expand health care and this candidate will, uh, you know, roll back the Affordable Care Act. You have a bunch of candidates who mostly agree, so it comes down to questions of personality, temperament, uh, emphasis, you know, somebody talking about, you know, one of these issues they all agree with in a way more often than the others are, saying that's my top priority, or just, you know, a gaffe uh, or a late-breaking scandal or something like late debate performance can really move a lot of votes. Now, we have Pete coming out of New Hampshire, Mm -hmm. technically because of how Iowa has currently, God knows what will happen going forward, but currently in the way that their delegates were allocated, he got more than Bernie Sanders. The Sanders campaign is challenging that. But as we talk to each other right now, he is currently the delegate leader Mm -hmm. uh, in in this Democratic race. Uh, I don't feel like he is being... Uh, given much of a chance outside of these two very white states of Iowa, New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. Obviously, he plays well there. He has not, at least in polls that we've seen, done well with minority voters. Where do you rate his chances from here in Nevada, South Carolina, and then on to Super Tuesday? Yeah, I mean, he needs to figure out how to expand his base. Right now, it's, you know, sort of uh, liberal, college-educated white professionals. Um, and that's you know a key constituency of the Democratic Party, but you've got to bring something else to that along with it to get the nomination. And I think you're absolutely right. He needs to figure out some way to appeal to uh, Latino voters, African American voters, and so on, if he wants to be the nominee. Or he needs to find some other chunk of the electorate to start voting for him. You know, if he could if he could also bring along, um, you know, uh, white working class voters without college educations. Uh, yeah. But, you know those folks seem pretty interested in Bernie Sanders. Um, on the other hand, if Joe Biden's campaign continues to be in as bad shape as it was in Iowa and in New Hampshire, that African-American vote for Biden that everybody's been expecting in South Carolina might be up for grabs. Yes. Uh, so a lot could come down to things like endorsements. It could come down to, um, does one of these candidates have a really good debate moment? Do they have some sort of spontaneous encounter with a voter uh, that will move hearts and minds of African Americans? Or maybe somebody um, does on a mass level something like, are you a Wire fan? Yeah. Okay, like when Tommy Carchetti goes to the uh, black minister sure. and says, I'm going to need you in a way that none of the black candidates for mayor are. Yeah. Um, maybe somebody does that. Um, I'm kind of surprised that none of the non-Biden candidates have tried something like that, honestly. Yeah. Um, but I think something's got to, you know, something else has to. He talks about being a, a president of addition. He needs to get some Start adding. Go, yeah, he needs to start adding. But 
you know, the, the, the argument from the Pete folks is it's momentum. Mm-hmm. Like, historically, there's a reason why Iowa and New Hampshire matter. They get disproportionately uh, the amount of press. Now, maybe in this crazy cycle that we're in right now, Nevada and South Carolina are covered more than they would be in another cycle. But Pete won, for whatever objective measure, Iowa. He now is a extraordinarily close second and, and an almost identical delegate mm-hmm. hall to Bernie now. Yeah. So... Why not the big Mo coming out of uh, yeah. coming out of here? Yeah, and I think that's uh, what he's going to argue. And I think he's going to try to say, you know, we've got something going on here. And the good news for him is that Sanders had such a narrow win here. You know, that tells me that Sanders has been, you know, Sanders has been saying since 2016, I should have won Iowa. Yep. I should have been the nominee. I would have beaten Trump. Give me four years, and I'm going to show up with uh, a mobilized army of supporters, and you'll see how I can transform the electorate. That didn't happen in Iowa. Yeah. That didn't happen in New Hampshire. Turnout turnout is actually about where it was in 2008. It might be a little higher, but it, that's not you know floods of 18 to 24 year old voters. That's not totally know. redefining exactly what exactly. New Hampshire it, was. It's, it's a pretty modest bump over 12 years ago. Um, so maybe there's room there. Um, we're still talking about Pete, right? Sure. Okay. We can go wherever uh, so, you want. No, no, but I, um, just to try to bring it back to that, you know, he's got to figure out something to add to his coalition. So, you know, I think he's going to try to say, look how well we're doing. Now we can do this in Nevada. Now we can do this in South Carolina. Um, and maybe that works. Uh, the Culinary Workers Union apparently is down on Bernie. So, so that was surprising. Yes, yes. That was surprising. And, and and listeners to this podcast know that I've been obsessed with the Culinary Workers okay, Union so endorsement you know for, for, for yeah. last night. So, yeah. yeah. So, uh, and I've gotten uh, uh, pictures of flyers from uh, uh, the, the Workers Union that shows that they are skeptical on Medicare for All, mm-hmm. which was interesting because it seems like from people that I've talked to in the, in the Workers Union, the two candidates that they are most interested in are Biden and Warren, mm-hmm. the two candidates that are are uh, uh, proposing Medicare for all. So, I mean, I, I can't imagine that they would endorse somebody not Pete, or, or not, not Bernie, rather, but uh, I don't know. All right. Yeah. Uh, let, let, me, let me real quick circle back to Warren okay. before we get uh, uh, forward on the map here. How big of a disappointment is that result for a neighboring senator from Massachusetts. Yeah, I mean, there, there's no getting around it. It's, it's a very disappointing showing. Um, she's spent a lot of time here, uh, not just as a presidential candidate, but in 2014, she was up here campaigning for Gene Shaheen. Uh, in 2016, she was up here for Clinton and Maggie Hassan and Annie Custer and Carol Shea Porter in their congressional races. Um, she had a lot of staff here. She had a lot of field offices. Um, she was here a lot. Yeah, and you know the performance she had. I mean, it, it, there's no good way to spin this. She didn't get any delegates. Uh, she didn't meet the threshold for that. Um, going forward, you know, I don't see what the path is. Yeah, if she'd gotten above fifteen percent, I could maybe imagine a world where, um, you know, she figures out some way to run a really bare bones campaign, just as picking off delegates. Yeah, here let, and there. let 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 yeah. let these boys exactly, fight it out, exactly, and then at some point exactly. you can and settle you know on what? her. You're gonna have to compromise on somebody. Yeah. Um, 
I'm right But kind of like but, John McCain in 2008, yeah, at a certain point, yeah. all the firepower will be expended and you will be somebody that everybody can agree on. Yeah, and I, I just don't see how that happens. Um, like, I just don't know what her next move is um, in Nevada or South, South Carolina. Apparently, her first event post-New Hampshire is scheduled for Virginia, I think I read. What? Uh, which is like sort of looking, really? at, looking ahead to Super Tuesday. Um, so that strikes... I, that's I just, crazy. I don't understand... Like, that's that's a, that's a, that's silly. I, if you can't get the momentum out of these other states for the money, it's like because that's to me well, the, the the biggest thing about where we are now is that okay you have these lesser media rich opportunities mm-hmm. right, but at least then these are ad buys in Las Vegas and Reno. These are ad buys in Charleston and Columbia. Mm-hmm. Especially this Super Tuesday, which is coming up really quick. We're talking about ad buys in Los Angeles, San Francisco, Dallas, Houston, yeah. Boston. I mean, just the Texas markets alone. There's like, like six, seven of them. Yeah, the, this um, is like you need you need to be exploding in your yes, fundraising right yeah. now. Um, the one thing that you know I think is worth considering though is there's there's some evidence that in 2016 there was no momentum in the Democratic primaries. That Clinton yeah. and Sanders, you know, they would win one state and it would have no effect on how they did in subsequent states. Sure. Um, if that's the case, then you're not looking at a bunch of, of elections where you'd have sort of a cascading effect, you know, where you do well here. Now, is that well in, in, in polling and results or fundraising? Uh, just results. Okay. Just results. So, for instance, you know, uh, Bernie surprises people in Michigan, but that didn't lead him to a victory in yeah. the next state and so on. Um so if that's happening, maybe you can target states and she thinks, you know, maybe she thinks, okay, Virginia, uh, for some reason, is uniquely suited to my candidacy, but it's a very, very long shot. Like, I just don't, I, I can't imagine that she wants to be doing that as opposed to flying into Nevada, <laughs> and, you know, doing, having done well in New Hampshire and, you know, claiming the culinary workers endorsement yeah. and having Harry Reid make phone calls for her. Exactly. Between now and the 22nd. And that's, that's the big, the big question now is, you know, especially for that, for a candidate that I, in my opinion, has overthought herself two or three times in this mm-hmm. in this race, that might be the ultimate overthinking. <laughs> like, yeah, that is overthinking yeah, I, I, yourself absolutely out of the race. Yeah, so it might be a question of just, you know, put something on the schedule and then figure out what to do next. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, all right. I think that that's pretty much it. I guess one more just general question sure. about Joe Biden. Because he did something, and I, before you're going to come on this podcast, I will have torched him for, for this. But uh, uh, in my opinion... Leaving when he did last night was not only not strategically wise, mm-hmm. it was cowardly. Like, it, it, it is leaving all of your supporters, volunteers, and people who had already gone to vote for you out in, in the lurch. From a historical perspective, am I being unfair to Vice President Biden? Well, I don't think anybody has ever really done that before. Um, so this I is think- this is something that is... Out of, yeah, I think, out of I think there context. might have been one of the times Ronald Reagan ran. He might not have been in the state when the returns came in, but that was because he thought he was going to win. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I think the stri- strategic thinking behind it was probably we need South Carolina. We need to have as much time there as possible. It's much better to stand in front of a cheering crowd of Sarah, South Carolinians, Carolinians yeah. uh, than a bunch of dejected New Hampshire supporters. Um, so it's television it. optics. Yeah, I that's think, I think that's it is. that's it's, the sell. It's TV optics. Better to have a cheering crowd around you than a bunch of sad New Englanders. Um, 
I think that's the best spin you can put on it. But you know, it was it was it was it looked bad. It you know everybody was aware of it. It was you know all over local press yesterday afternoon, and you know it was a, it, it, imagine you're an undecided voter. Or, People are still going to, yeah, to the polls, exactly, and also exactly. I, I imagine if you're Pete or Amy, you're like. Dude, you yeah. could have done this on Friday. Right. Oh, would have been would have been one of us might have actually won right. if you would have yes. pieced out. Absolutely. And oh, and by the way, we're having parties in Concord and Nashua, and we'll be there. Unlike yeah. the Biden party. Um, so because I, I get it, if you come out from, from from Iowa, you look at the facts on the ground, you're like, mm-hmm. you want to know what? We're gonna get our ass kicked here. Let's just save sure. it. You sure. save your organizers' time. You save your your, your support your, uh, donors' time. Like you say, like, all right, this is our new thing. South Carolina, do or die. But as soon as you play here, and, and then you don't stand up and just take your L like yeah. like like a leader, then I, I I don't even know what to do with this campaign. I am so exacerbated. Yeah, by it. and I, I think you know the big the big question is is there any sort of recovery possible in South Carolina or is it? The I don't think that, he makes it there. I think that's entirely possible because because you know? he's the fun word on the street is that the money's gone, right? Right. Uh, when when I went to his event in Hampton, they were handing out paper press passes that they had just run off at Kinko's, right? Like, mm-hmm. which in, in none of the other campaigns, it's like they at least have, you know, wristbands, <laughs> if not laminates or stickers mm-hmm. or something like that. Something that takes some kind of foresight. Um, like, I, I can't imagine anybody, especially now, when if you are the Never Bernie contingent of this party and you look at, like, well, hey, look, if we can coalesce around one moderate and not Cruz and Kasich ourselves like uh, the Republicans did four years ago, then this Bernie thing can be over. Like, like you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I think the best thing Bernie has going for him is that, um, you know, you've got Buttigieg and Klobuchar and Biden all in the race, all still planning on competing for as long and hard as they can. Uh, and that's splitting that vote up. Yeah. And, um, you know, Warren seems to be sticking in too, but she's not taking votes away from Bernie at this point. You know, I think, you know, I don't know so, who she's. Uh, but they are votes that aren't going feminist to Twitter, I think, Pete is pretty or much Or Amy or anybody else. Yeah. So. Uh, all right. Do you, who do you think is more viable coming out of New Hampshire, Pete or Amy? Oh, that's a really good question. It's tough. I mean, I, I, I said last night. Um, nobody actually knows what electability is. Uh, <laughs> and, I mean, you know, four years ago, you would have asked me, is Donald Trump electable? Of course not. He's Donald Trump. Sure. And here we are. Um, so I think, you know, the thing Amy has going for her, since we're all on a first-name basis with the three leading candidates Absolutely. Now, is that she is a totally normal presidential candidate. You know, she is a Democrat. She's yeah. from Minnesota. She's in the Senate. She's of... You know, the in the usual age range for presidents. You know, there there aren't obvious veto points for her with any part of the party, um, unless you are a you know, Staffer. lefty or a lefty independent <laughs> who um, uh, is voting for Bernie but hates the Democratic Party. Yeah. Um, Pete, I think, is a bigger roll of the dice in that he's got a really weird resume. Um, you know, going from mayor of South Bend. To the White House is a huge bump with 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 a couple of failed 
campaigns yeah, right, like, in, right, in, like he in between. Yeah, right, like he ran treasurer and, and right. that sort of thing and did, and did not do well because he was a Democrat running in Indiana. Then obliquely ran for DNC. Right, right, right. right. Although I for, think for, that put him on the radar of a lot yeah. of people nationally. I, mean, I think that actually was key to getting the press to take him seriously as a, as a presidential yeah. candidate. Um, so that seems to have worked out for him in that regard. Um, but I think he's a bigger roll of the dice. Um, I think, you know, we don't know how the electorate would re react to a gay nominee for president. Uh, I think that's sort of lurking in the in the thinking in the back. A lot of Democrats yeah. just wondering, in the same way people wondered about Obama, in the same way people wondered about Hillary Clinton, how if this happens, how does this actually work? And I think after Clinton's experience, I think folks might be thinking, oh, okay, it's not just going to be that every time a nominee breaks a barrier, everybody's going to, the country in general is going to say, and we're totally cool with this. Yeah. Uh, the way people thought, I think, after 2008. Yeah. Racism ended. Of course. Yeah. As we all know. And we all have the commemorative coins to prove it. Yes. Uh, does Bernie win the nomination, yes or no? Uh, I would probably rather be Bernie than anybody else. Sure. But I think it is going to be a slog whoever wins it. I think we're looking at a nomination fight where you know campaigns are trying to figure out okay where can we pick up an extra delegate in this state or can we run an ad here to suppress this opponent's vote or boost this other opponent so that the delegate doesn't go to the So you are so, so it sounds like you are I tend to have a, a an adverse reaction to brokered convention talk. I'm not, I'm not talk, saying brokered. Right? I know, saying, I know, yeah. I know. But then the cousin to that is exactly how long of a delegate slog this yeah. becomes. Because usually, even as they are delegate slogs, you know who's ahead. Yeah. And you know that it's going to take a miracle for that person's lead to subside. This usually is a very slow boat chase at, at, at a certain point. Uh, but you but you seem to think that this is definitely going I, to be more of a crawl than, than we normally can expect. Yeah, I think historically when you have races where New, the winner of New Hampshire primary has such a low percentage of the vote and such a narrow margin over their rival, what tends to happen is it is a grueling, yeah. just grinded out sort of um, uh, contest. And I think... We're probably looking at that more than we're looking at. Oh wow, Bernie swept Super Tuesday. And sure, he's going to be the nominee. Yeah, um, and I, again, just you know, because he's Bernie Sanders, um, I think he's just facing a different dynamic than he would if he were, you know, some other, you know, still very liberal, very progressive candidate, but had a longer history in the Democratic Party. Um, you know, if if um, if he were Elizabeth Warren. For instance, if she were in his position, yeah. I think, yes, yeah, she's probably cruising to win this. If, let's say, imagine uh, Elizabeth Warren had moonwalked away from Medicare for All, uh, yeah, uh, then, or then not maybe. Or on board with it in the first place. Sure. And had to do, yeah. you know, and we can play out the what ifs, but, you know, if it was just simply a, con a, a very liberal but conventional Democratic candidate, you wouldn't have the folks who are going to be grumbling, you know, he's not actually registered as a Democrat. Yeah. He's, you know, he's not really committed to the party. So, you know, and I think you heard him strike that remarkably conciliatory uh, uh, unity tone last night in a way that I've never really heard from him. Yeah. Um, I think that's aimed at wavering at Democrats who are like, well, Bernie, I like it when you talk about how the economy is rigged. I don't like it when, yeah. you know you do this or your supporters do that. Although, to be fair, it is super, super, super fun to say blue no matter who when you're leading <laughs> yeah. and when you're winning. Yeah, it's very, it's very easy to super say rad. Yeah. to unify around me. <laughs> exactly. You know, that, yeah. We need to unify around the leader who currently 
is me. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, which not is... the other fellow who's coming up and the margin keeps getting lower yeah. and tighter. <laughs> you know, just don't don't look at don't look at him. Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, last question. Yep. The Phantom Menace in all of this. Uh, Michael Bloomberg on a scale from one to ten. How seriously do you think his campaign is going to affect this race? I would probably say maybe a six. Um, I, I don't know that it's going to work, but he historically has... this is this is not how you do it. It's you not don't... how you do it, but historically nobody's ever done this with like sixty-two billion dollars. <laughs> there is that at their disposal, <laughs> and so like you know, um, my parents live in Pennsylvania. When I talk to them, they're like, "Yeah, I watched the news last night. There were seven Bloomberg ads. Yeah, last week there were only six. I guess he's spending more money here." And you know, you, you, money it is dominated like a, all the campaign coverage on yeah. all the channels. Yeah, yeah. So you know, he's everywhere down there, and nobody else is on the air. Nobody else is organizing or, or campaigning to that extent. So, Mike Bloomberg's right now he's getting a he's getting a free pass in those states where he's yeah. advertising, which is why his numbers are going up. Um, I don't know if that continues. Um, I think you know he's going to be included in one of the upcoming debates, I think after South Carolina or after Super Tuesday, if he's still in. He's one poll away from getting this next one yeah. in Nevada. Yeah, and I think the DNC has talked about like tweaking the rules to put him on the stage well, or something they, like that. Well, they already eliminated the individual donor thing, so they okay. didn't make him beg for dollars like they made gotcha. Steyer. Gotcha. Uh, uh, so, I guess, billionaire privilege to, to that billionaire, not the other billionaire. But, yes. Uh, yeah, uh, that, that'll be curious if he gets up on stage. Yeah. But the other question is... <clears throat> He is somebody that's got a lot of tape, right? right he has right. done nothing. I think right. a quarter of all the words that have come out of his mouth have been on a live microphone, and we're already seeing, we're, we're already into three or four clips of him saying very pointed things about stop and frisk yes. and the reasons behind yeah. it. Yeah, so maybe that hurts him with African-American voters. Um, somebody's got a videotape of him endorsing George W. Bush in 2004, um, you know, these yeah, sorts it was of on things. stage at the right, at, right, at yeah, the convention. Yeah, like, yeah, this isn't like hidden basement exactly, tapes. Exactly, exactly. Like the tape is C-SPAN. Like yeah, you go to C-SPAN <laughs> it was on all the channels. It yeah, it's right there. Yeah, it was at the yeah, the New York City convention yeah. in 04. Yeah, so you know those those could be tough obstacles in the Democratic primary. On the other hand, you know, part of his pitch is look, I'm sane. I'm I'm competent. I'm not Donald Trump, and I will spend sixty billion dollars to beat him. Yeah. I think there are a lot of Democrats who could find that appealing, especially if, you know, what if Nevada and South Carolina look just like what happened in New Hampshire? Yeah. Where you've got this really tight bunching of three candidates and no sign that one of them is about to break away and become the favorite. If I'm sitting at home in, uh, you know, Pennsylvania or Virginia or Texas or California, I don't pay that much attention to politics, so I haven't really heard much about these three folks who keep yelling at each other. And then there's this this moderate, sensible-sounding man yeah. uh, who's on my TV all the time. Maybe I vote for him. All right. Uh, Chris Caldieri, thank you so much. Thank you. Of course, the uh, New Hampshire Institute of Politics. Folks, if you would like to be a part of this team, if you want to make sure that you continue to send me not only to Nevada, not only to South Carolina, not only to Florida when that comes up, but also to the conventions later this summer. Well, there's only one place you can help do that, and that is at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Uh, guys, I hope that this has been worth it, and based on the increase that you guys have had in your support, 
I, I think that there's no other way to say it. You are making this happen every week by week. You are putting in to this program. You are spreading the word on this program and you are giving yourself the kind of independent analysis that I believe you deserve. Not advocacy, analysis. It's a key. Both are fine, but this is the one that I give you. All right. We said we were going to do a thing, and we are going to do that right now, and that is reading a, a, an email here about the, the proselytization <laughs> efforts of this show. You reaching out to somebody and just seeing whether or not they do or don't enjoy this program. And so our first email comes in from Randy. Dearest Justin, I've been proselytizing for PX3 since my first time listening to it. And I've made a few converts over the years from on both sides of the aisle. I'm writing today, though, to talk not of my successes, but of my struggles. Well, brother, please. Go on. I wonder that as much as I love PX3, perhaps it's time to consider a name change. The thing is that there are so few podcasts out there that talk politics, dozens that discuss politics, and probably hundreds that strictly focus on politics. So when I try to talk up politics, 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 my friends think I'm saying politics, 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 or sometimes politics, 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 or God forbid politics, politics, politics. You can imagine how quickly this turns them off. It's an uphill battle that I'm willing to fight because I love your approach to politics and I think that your takes on politics are spot on and when you do go full on politics, it leaves me in stitches. Still, I thought I'd pass along some friendly advice. Randy from Oklahoma, thank you for writing in. Again, takepoliticsseriously.com, $3 level gets you bonus content and uh, guys, here in New Hampshire, there were two bonus episodes. Normally, it's just one on Monday, one on Thursday, but y'all got a bonus one on Tuesday because I had a bunch of sound that would be useless uh, after the election. I'm trying to do it for you guys, and I'm specifically trying to do it for everybody who uh, makes these trips possible. TakePoliticsSeriously.com Politics! The campaign undertaker told not once, but twice, and maybe thrice, as we wait to check on the status of Deval Patrick this very morning, but we will focus on two of them. First, Michael Bennett. Michael Bennett is a man with big ideas and a small mouth. He really put a lot of time and effort into Iowa, then came out here to New Hampshire, wasn't able to catch much uh, a win behind his back. Did have the endorsement of James Carville, who uh, got a lot of television time over the past week being an anti-Bernie Sanders voice on cable television. He amusingly only wanted to campaign with Michael Bennett if Michael Bennett was dressed like a presidential candidate and... James Carville was just dressed in LSU sweats. <laughs> like There was no element of professionalism to James Carville. He is, I guess, in that stage in life where uh, uh, ain't nobody going to tell him nothing. But there's not really a lot of a legacy to Michael Bennett. He, he ran as a moderate. Moderates now are, you know, in terms of the top of that 
that that vote, right? That sixty or the uh, top three vote getters, the moderate lane is stronger than the progressive lane, right? The two and three combined, much more than one. But we didn't want Michael Bennett, or at least Iowa didn't. New Hampshire didn't. He wasn't really able to do much more nationally than that. So the campaign undertaker reaps the campaign of one, Michael Bennett. But really, the one that has gotten the most attention, and rightfully so, is the suspension of the campaign of Andrew Yang. Yang Gang 2020. They want a thousand a month. A thousand a month. I feel like I want that sung by a sad children's choir. (laughs) Let's get this bread. Freedom dividend. Yang Gang is is done. Look, uh, I did something that I've never done before. When John Delaney dropped out in Iowa, I went to his headquarters. I tried to talk to somebody. Nobody wanted to talk to me. So I just did 10 push-ups in his driveway because of his tremendous commitment to physical fitness. We went over to the Yang party last night, and we caught the very end of it, the dregs of that party, and now... For the first time, we are going to give you the campaign undertaker eulogy. This was me speaking to a supporter at the Yang suspension announcement. So this is a segment that I have on the show, is the campaign undertaker. And and the campaign undertaker, they, they eventually come for everybody, right? On election night. The campaign undertaker will come for both of them. Yes. This is it for the for, for the Andrew Yang campaign. We're yes. literally at last call. They literally just called last call last here at the call. bar. Wow. Wow. Right? How serendipitous is that? So if you are here, campaign undertaker has, has come for the Yang campaign. How will you remember Yang 2020? I will remember it as a humanity first campaign, and I will remember Andrew Yang as running for something instead of against something. And the humanity first philosophy, I'll tell you, he is post. Nick is getting dapped up by just uh, strangers. Post party. He's post party pro human. Okay? It's not Democratic, it's not Republican, it's forward. So here's the thing I think America needs to figure out how sick it is first. It's gonna take four more years. Ladies and gentlemen, we have just watched Bernie Sanders uh, give his victory speech, a close victory in New Hampshire with uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg coming in second. Joining me, our election desk here at the Best Western Plus (laughs) in Manchester, New Hampshire, Andrew Heaton. How you doing, buddy? Uh, Thrilled to be here with you. And I should note, we have a fireplace. We do. Uh, I'm actually going to go turn that on. Hold on. Turn on the fireplace because it is lit, uh, literally, uh, here in... So, <laughs> fun story. Does it feel more seductive in here? Because it does to me. I mean, it's about to get there. Uh, uh, to just give uh, uh, you, dear listener, a window into my life, there was a moment last night after uh, I came back from this uh, restaurant and bar that's uh, on property here in which I, I walked in and there was a roaring fireplace and a pajama-clad Andrew Heaton. Like, this is yep. 
This is what it means to split a hotel room with the political orphanage. Here's my thing. We spend a third of our lives sleeping. Why don't why don't you want to look good then too? I always look good. I always look well. I mean, look, it was it was it was a very it was a bizarre just, if welcoming sight. At home, I literally wear a smoking jacket of that kind of thing. It's just that I'm traveling and there wasn't room in my suitcase. Sure. Uh, all right, so uh, let, let, let's go ahead and talk about the results. What is the biggest thing that you have taken away from the 2020 Democratic primary? From the, from the whole experience? The whole thing. Okay, so, so this is my read on the, on the the whole thing is I think there's three. We talked about this yesterday, but I think there's three lanes. There's yeah. centrists, radicals, and uber-progressives. Okay. And uh, um, there's infighting going on right there, I think, with uh, Sanders. Apparently, the socialist thing is no longer a, a hobbling offense. I mean, not not in the progressive lane because no. we saw there is now one uh, a person in that lane as Elizabeth Warren, a very distant fourth, like not even a close fourth. And she's like, capitalist to her bones, according to her. Well, sure, uh, uh, but that is, of course, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a doth protest too much <laughs> kind mm-hmm. of label. There, mm-hmm. uh, we, we we will get into where some of these people go from here, but. Uh, uh, you, let, let's go back to your three lanes. Progressives, Bernie's king. Right. Moderates, we're now not so sure. I, I don't know, because the, the king has gout or, or whatever <laughs> King George III had. He's got that weird disease that makes you piss blue, and you like you, you don't know what you're talking about. Because okay, Biden was the king of the moderates. Yeah. And, uh, and, and like, you know, if we were... I, you and I both have thought Biden would go down like a sack of bricks for a long time. Now. Yes. But if you were to talk to a lot of other pundits here, you know, six months ago, they would have said like, well, maybe like a Biden Klobuchar ticket or something. And that yeah. guy, that guy is just tumbling to pieces. Over. It, I mean, uh, I have obviously made a lot of hay on this podcast and on uh, Twitter about how he's going to drop out before South Carolina and endorse Mayor Pete. And whether or not the second part of that comes true. I am more sure than ever that the first part is going to come true because I can't imagine. I don't care what your polls are nationally. I don't care what your polls are in Nevada. I don't care what your polls are in South Carolina. You just watched a disastrous performance in Iowa, followed by, if possible, a even more bafflingly poor performance in New Hampshire. This is like, like imagine you thought you were going to be on the second, you're going to be in the second story balcony yeah. addressing the crowd, but you fall off the balcony, hit the basement, break through the basement floor, <laughs> get into the septic tank. That's where Biden is right now. He fell through the basement into the septic tank. Uh, and and I think I'm going to do a whole thing before this about uh, uh, what a coward he is for leaving. So we, we will leave that for, for another segment. But let's talk about Warren here. Yeah. Because I personally believe that this was going to be the moment where she... You know, she came in third in Iowa. This was at, at at least a guaranteed third place for her here. What do you think happened on on, on the way to the forum? I don't know. I, I would think that a hyper-white, well-educated group of progressives like New Hampshire would be more favorable to her. Um, she I means she's built for this state. She is a, a, a senator from door. a very, very uh, populous state right next door, shares a media market. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I, I, I think it's this. Um, if Her and Bernie are playing in the progressive lane, right? She's running as the activist progressive. Yeah. He's running as the activist progressive. Who's better at being the activist progressive? Bernie is. Bernie's better at a messaging perspective than yeah. she is. Um, and also, he's just like, you know, she she 
Medicare for all, okay, Medicare for all, but in my, you know, the, it, halfway through the midterms, like, like, it, like, like, as she started to back away from that, well, now the clarion call for the uber progressives, Bernie's clearly the more uber progressive person. Yeah. If you're going for it because you want an activist who is as far left as you can get, um, then Bernie did the best job. The story, though, is really Amy Klobuchar. Uh, uh, she was somebody that I thought was left for dead. In fact, I now have an avatar of a honking goose. Yeah, I saw and my, that. my Twitter name is I'm a silly goose and I eat my own shit. Yummy. So uh, uh, this was obviously not foreseen by brilliant pundits like me. Did you see this coming? No, because I, 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 I have a soft spot for Klobuchar. I've liked yeah. her. Like, remember, I like the, the pro business, pragmatic Democrat camp. Yeah. And, uh, and so Klobuchar from the beginning, I was like, okay, so she she's. Pragmatic talks about math as if dollars actually have some sort of value that we have to associate <laughs> things with. I'm like, this is, I like that. Very bad sign for her, the Democratic Party. Yeah. Uh, and on top of that, not super cuddly. Uh, and like, like, and I, that doesn't bother me. I'm not looking for, I'm not looking for a president to be, you know, my, my spouse or drinking buddy. I'm, yeah. I'm looking for the chief bureaucrat that will mostly just not inflict harm. That's the main thing I want. Um, so I, I rather like her, but um, she's not. I, I, I'm very surprised that she's gained this momentum because I've never I've never thought that she would be a captivating candidate for a large group of, of the electorate. She just doesn't seem to have that, uh, f from my vantage point, that like kind of sexy quality that uh, oh, which I, I, I the fact that I even have to that's a weird with, it's within, always within been politics. Weird. But you know what? It, the yeah, flashy yeah, maybe flashy yes, is a flashy. Way of saying yeah, that. yeah, yeah. There's not flash to her. There's flash to Pete. Uh, there was flash to Obama. There. So I'm, I'm surprised by this, but I view it as a positive development. For someone who, again, is so hopeful this is not the Sophie's Choice election yeah. of a, a referendum on socialism versus Trumpism. Yeah. I like, anytime the centrists, like, get a good jab in, I'm like, yeah, take it, take it. <laughs> Eat Sanders. Eat Warren. So let's talk about Pete, because when we first saw, so we were together in the Doubletree in, in Manchester, which is the media hotel. It's mostly where MSNBC is based out of. I, I dare say we were at the Waldorf Astoria of Manchester, New Hampshire. We, 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 were. we, we were. We were at the Ritz of New Hampshire. We were. We were. It was it was pretty uh, pre a pretty Tony affair yeah. there for us, uh, uh, sandwiched between Massachusetts Public Radio and MSNBC. But initially, it looked like a lot more of a can, Sanders. Can, can we can we brag about hanging out with Chris Hayes? Do you have to cut we that could, out? No, we could brag. Yeah, we were yeah, hanging so, out with Chris Hayes. We were hanging that out was with fun. Chris Hayes. Yeah, yeah, we wound up hanging out. That was fun. Yeah, that was that, that that was one of those like like we we literally went to the media hotel so we could have a moment like that, and we wound up having a moment like yeah. that. Yeah, so I mean, that was I, I was going to look for PJ O'Rourke. That was my explicit. That goal. was. Uh, Where, how I'll, did he how did he run you astray on that I one? I don't know. I you know he he probably was throwing me off a scent. He he like like what I oh, talked. Oh yeah, he gave, he gave me the only place time. he wouldn't be. Yeah, he 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 was like this guy's a weirdo. I don't want to hang out with this dude. I'll tell him I don't want. I'll, I'll tell him to go to the MSNBC hangout. I won't be there. But it was fun to hang out with him though. Anyway, yeah, we, we were at the Double Tree. We, we went to the Double Tree, and initially it looked like this was going to be a walk for Sanders. It looked like more of a five or six point victory. Now. Far cry from him winning by 20 points in a effectively one-on-one -on -one race with Hillary Clinton. But Pete comes close, doesn't pull off the victory. Before we get into whether or not Klobuchar's momentum kind of blunts that and whether or not if she did not have that kind of surge, he would have won, where does this leave Pete? Very complicated, if disputed, victory in Iowa. Thin margin. And now a very close second 
in New Hampshire, where Bernie is a neighboring senator. But he starts heading now into Nevada and South Carolina, states where he doesn't quite have the ground game and have uh, less than favorable demographics. Do you think this is the high point of the Pete campaign? No, I think that there's a very good chance Pete will take the nomination. I think it's going to be ultimately a, uh, a fight between Sanders and Pete. Uh, Pete's going to be the standard bearer for the centrists. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, Bernie will be the, the anti-math party. And uh, <laughs> uh, I, I think he's very well positioned. I mean, for, for one thing, again, like, like Biden's imploding. Biden is just, Biden's gone. Um, uh, Bennett apparently was running and is gone. Uh, Bennett, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, it's, it, so it's basically at this point, him and, him and Klobuchar, um, I think the flash will carry. And I also like, I, I, I think that the Democratic Party loves the sensation of um, like uh, you're, you're, you're at a diner or something and somebody's making an announcement and everybody's kind of not paying attention. And then the, the guy making that goes, hey, actually, this is a big deal. Things are changing, right? Yeah. And so like, like he has that. He's 37. No one knows where he came from. He's gay. He has that. He's, he's a first. All these different yes. things, right? The wheel is breaking. Oh, my God, the shot out of the blue. He has that, that energy and push he can do. Klobuchar can't do that. She has to run on pragmatism and actually getting stuff done, which is so never as much fun. Same question, different name. Is this the high point of the Klobuchar campaign? Yes, this is the high of the Klobuchar campaign. I think, uh, I, I, like, she... I, I, I don't think she'll outpace Pete. I think she'll get a cabinet position, or uh, if, like, if a Democrat wins, I think she's very well positioned now in terms of where she can uh, put endorsements and potentially getting a good running. I, uh, I wish her the best. Between her and Pete, I prefer her. Yeah. But, uh, but I, don't, I don't think, I, I don't see that momentum con continuing and gaining. We did go to, uh, and, and we will have a whole thing on uh, the campaign undertaker visiting two of the candidates. You already mentioned one. Uh, but before we get to that, your thoughts Ugh. on your Yang experience. Because, folks, if you are not aware, uh, uh, and those of you who listened to the PX3 Extra today or yesterday uh, as this comes out, you went to a Yang event. I went to a Yang event. You fell in deep, fell beautiful love yes. with the Yang campaign. And literally, within 12 hours of you Ugh. publicly... not It's not just that you're on my podcast. I like the guy. Yeah, I, no, I endorsed him. I endorsed you him. endorsed him. You endorsed him. That's the thing. It's not just on the podcast where you're mm -hmm. saying, oh, my God, I, yeah, really, yeah. I really thought he was great. I went, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to be the inflection point for this campaign. And I was. You got a silly <laughs> picture with Andrew yep. Yang. You posted it. You endorsed mm -hmm. him. You had to deal on your own forums and yep. in your at replies, a lot of your, uh, your more conservative or libertarian mm -hmm. fans being like, what the hell are you doing? Why are you doing this? And yet... What do you get for it? This this was this is my emotional arc, okay? <laughs> this is my emotional arc. Uh, Justin's audience, you're at the bar. Yeah. It's coming up on closing time. It's mm -hmm. like eleven forty five. This isn't even a great bar. It's it's gonna close at midnight. Eleven forty five. You're not gonna go home with the lady picking your teeth with a switchblade, making eye contact with the bikers. That's Trump. I'm gonna steer okay. clear of her. I'm okay. not going home with that one. No. She's crazy, right? There's several other people that you're looking at going. Yeah, yeah, all right. Uh, two beers. Yeah. Two, two, three beers. I think I can sure. make this work. You know, yeah. like I'm not, neither of us are wild about this, but you know, it's some, <laughs> some good cardio. It's, but you want to know, we're both we're, lonely. We're lonely. It's February 14th. Let's yeah. just, let's just, you know, make it happen, right? And then Andrew Yang walks into the bar. And yeah. You're like, who is, is, is that person single? Who, who is that? Can I buy him a drink? And when you buy them the drink, you slide the drink, you go, hey, my name's Heaton. What's your name? 
all of a sudden the trench coat trench coat falls off, and it's just multiple children stacked on top who run out of the pub. Wow. Uh, it was it was a it was a. I'm not mad at him by the way, uh, but but it was like oh I had I had ten hours, Justin. You did ten hours yeah. of being like I'm part of a thing. For the record, I just want to point out to all the listeners that you rejected the idea of using the adjective sexy to describe a campaign, <laughs> and then went into a far more yeah. tortured metaphor that far eventually more, involved super children. Tortured, yeah. <laughs> no, I no I like I'm sad I didn't endorse him earlier. It would have been so much fun to actually like because uh, I like the, the difference between him and all the other candidates for me was I was actually excited about him. I was. Like, yeah. I like this guy. This guy's cool. I don't agree with him and everything, but I, I genuinely am like stoked on him. And it, and, and it you stopped. saw one of his last yeah. events. Would I guess been like, one yeah. of the last five, I would think. Maybe one of the last two. Yeah. Uh, so no, I I ended his campaign. Uh, I, uh, I I am the walking Michael Dukakis helmet of, <laughs> of his campaign. Uh, hashtag heat and curse. Just make heat, sure that everybody just... Heat and curse. Whenever he talks good about any other politician, yeah. just make sure that you follow it up with hashtag heat yeah, and I, curse. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm seriously considering just weaponizing my endorsements from now on and, and going, like, I know what's going to happen. Because, like, I think, I think this is the deal, okay? Yeah. I am the ultimate mom and dad like this person thing for like a a country full of teenagers. I'm the gotcha. one that comes in and I'm like, you know who I like, Yanni or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then they're like, oh no, we're gonna listen to death metal or whatever whatever the youngsters listen to these days on the yeah. turntables. Uh, yeah, no, that was that was a shame. Uh, uh, but it was fun, you know, for all of ten hours. I was like, oh yeah, I might get a blue hat. Yeah, I, I, I'm surprised he dropped out. Yeah, I am too. I, 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 I thought think, he, I yeah. thought he was going to go to Nevada at, at the very least. I thought that was about the place. Although there is a thought that you know, from here, Iowa, New Hampshire, traditionally are the the can or the the contests in which there is the most media attention. You actually get people out here. I don't know how many Las Vegas. Uh, uh, you know, remote locations we're going to get next week. I don't know how many Charleston remote locations we're going to get next week. There's certainly going to be staff there. There's going to be cameramen. But from here, things get a little less directly involved. So mm. if you are going to drop out, Yang pretty much maximized the footprint for him to do it. Because, like, we were, it was right as the results came in, Everybody was live. Everybody was looking for something to go to. And then, boom, there he was, Andrew Yang, dropping out. He got president over Elizabeth Warren. I think they cut into Elizabeth Warren's speech after Yang was done dropping out. Thanks, Yang. Because <laughs> you, you, you are you are definitely you are. If I were to describe heat and watching the results, it was mostly spite. Like you were just mostly upset. Or uh, happy at the misfortune of the candidates you didn't like. Yeah, yeah. Well, because I, I like, I didn't think Yang was going to take it. I thought yeah. I'd have more fun. I thought this was going to be a three day weekend rather than <laughs> rather than <laughs> rather than a snog over by the jukebox before the cops break <laughs> us up. Uh, so I was a little bit sad about that. Uh, yeah, I, I, I am, I am, I much prefer the moderate wing of Democrats to the uber progressive wing of Democrats, and so uh, seeing seeing Warren slide down on the totem pole, uh, I, I have to say, was a, a pleasant development for me. We're gonna have a whole campaign Undertaker thing, but where do you think Yang goes from here? What is the future of the man you fell in love with, but twenty four hours ago? Uh, 
what I'd love for him to do, but I don't think he will, is I'd love for him to toy around with running Libertarian, because I think he'd be a, a really interesting VP candidate. Or yeah. Even a, I, don't, I don't think he would get, I know the Libertarian Party pretty well, I don't think he would be able to get um, top billing on it, just because he's UBI and too many things would be anathema, but I think he'd make an interesting LP can, uh, VP candidate. I don't think he'll do that, I just don't get that read from him. Uh, I don't think he's got um, virtually every other candidate. I mean, he's too big for that. Uh, yeah, well, and, like, and if I were Yang, too, you just became like the, um, you, you just became this beloved character amongst this new newfound group of people. Yeah. And if you run libertarian, you're going to cut that down by 75%, and then all yeah. of the other people are going to hate you as a spoiler for the rest of all time. So I don't think it would be emotionally gratifying for him. Um, he, it would be cool if he ran again here in a few years. I, as a Yang gang guy, think he was ahead of the curve. <laughs> Uh, that he was the problem with Yang was he was too too far looking into the future for the Democrats to realize what they'd had. Um, so it would be good if he if he ran four years from now. I hope he doesn't just slum it as an MSNBC contributor. I, I think he'd be wasted in that. Well, capacity. everyone's got to do something. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but I just I'd rather I'd, I'd rather him like good into tech or something. He seems like a very innovative guy and a, and a problem solver. I'd rather him be thinking rather than talking. Mm. Yeah, but he's also really good on camera. He's, like I I, I, I I would not begrudge him taking that money wherever wherever he chooses to do it I, I think that he's a fascinating character like he is someone to watch because i do think that number one of the candidates that were running there's really only two that lit the youth vote on fire and that's bernie who won tonight and yang who dropped out mm -hmm. uh where that goes and who he endorses is going to be very interesting yeah but that'll be interesting and i could see him going anyway i like actually i kind of would see him more likely going I, I don't know. Actually, I have no idea. I have no idea which way he'd go endorsement wise. It's two, two for me. It's either Bernie or Pete. Yeah, yeah. He's publicly said, I think, that he was inspired to run because of Bernie. Uh, uh, he is insurgent revolutionary. And although a lot of their ideas are kind of diametrically opposed, like, like Yang is, uh, you know, had, had very, very uh, distinctly drawn a line in the sand that, like, hey, look, a guaranteed minimum wage does nothing. Like, like it just effectively, you know, it gives you a gigantic fight before everybody gets replaced by a touchscreen in five seconds. Mm -hmm. uh, but I could I could see for Bernie Sanders, I think the idea would be, hey, look, I mean, like, like what's another government program? Like, sure. Yeah, we'll do UBI, too. Yeah. We'll do. We'll, well do. I and I, I could say temperamentally them getting along as well, because like like I think Yang and Tulsi are both. There, there's a bunch. Yang and Tulsi and Warren and Sanders are all radicals. They're all yeah. they're all running in different directions, but in very extreme ways, right? So like Tulsi would in the drug war and in foreign interventions. Pete's claiming that, but honestly, like it, it seems like it seems a bit boilerplate for me that he yeah. would get us out of endless wars. Um, and so I like it could it could be that like the f the fellow radical that this push to like you know break the the ossified thing would would bubble up and he'd go with uh, with with Sanders, yeah. I mean, the other side is Pete, because I, I think Pete is young, although he does not necessarily uh, attract a super young audience, although the crowd that we saw in, in uh, Milford was not super old. It, well, I, see, it I, wasn't Biden I think old. I think Pete's strength will be old people for, yes. this, for this reason, because, like, uh, Biden comes off very old. He comes off far older than Sanders does. Oh, my I, God. I think a lot of people in Biden's age range are going, uh, I'm two years younger than him, and I don't think I should be president, yeah. or, or, you know, or at least it would be a strain on me. Uh, and uh, I, I think generations tend to distrust whoever's nipping at their heels. So, like, Gen Xers are the ones that, like, really hated the millennials when we came on the scene, and now, like, millennials, we're done. 
Yeah. Like we're we're now the old people, right? So like whoever the new group is, the Zoomers, they're, they're the ones we hate, yeah. right? Um, the but, TikToks, but, that, but that, yeah, the TikToks, all that. But that the the gap though kind of endears them. So like baby boomers look at Pete and they're like, oh, he's like my grandson. Yes, and, and he's like a perfect grandson for that that particular old person of like clean cut hairstyle, like just polished Chinese. Went to the military. He is he's, he, a, he's, he is he's, the, he's a, a church yeah. going boy. Yep. Like so you know, I, he, I think he, he'll perform well he with He ticks so many boxes. I don't even care that he's gay. Mm. What a lovely husband. <laughs> just like a grandparent in yeah. the 21st century. <laughs> Uh, ah, man, I, I don't know if there's anything else that we need to hit there. I think we, we, we got the, uh, uh let's Yang see. St- we, we, we had a brief moment where we were told Steyer dropped out. Uh, yeah, we had a Steyer scare for yeah. a second. That, that would have been weird yeah. because he didn't even play here. So I don't even know right. why. Deval Patrick apparently is going to sleep tonight, going to think about whether or not his non existent campaign will come to an end. So we'll find out. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh Michael out. Bennett is out. Biden. Well, Bill Weld going strong. Bill, eleven percent. Bill Weld. When do you think Biden goes? I think he is. This is because this is like big stink lines, and also like when Pete came that close. I think that there is a big establishment force that's going to say, "All right, everyone who doesn't absolutely need to be in this race." Get out. This is what Biden's going to do. Is Biden right now is talking to who, whoever the shadowy cabal of moderates is and centrists is, and, yep. and some of his staff, mm-hmm. and they're all saying, "What are you doing? You need to drop out now and endorse Peter Klobuchar. Do one of those two, right?" And he's saying, "But I've got this firewall in South Carolina, and I think the midpoint he's going to arrive at is give me Nevada, and if I can get first in Nevada, I'm still in play." And so I think he's going to be in Nevada. I so don't you, think so. You think he goes out to the desert for one final gunfight? I think he does, and I I, I think he um, I I think what he's going to hope is I get first place in Nevada. Is Biden making a comeback? Becomes a thing, and then he yeah. loses in South Carolina. Uh, but but I I think he's got one more contest left in him. That would make sense to me, uh, unless it's just. There is just like one element, and it's both historic and it's the guy that we saw because we, we 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 both saw the lying dog face pony yeah. soldier uh, thing together, which may or may not go down as one of the last weird <laughs> Biden events, right? Which saddens me because it was really overblown. It really was overblown. I that moment was. It was weird though. Like I mean, like not not that moment. Yeah. The, the event was like. There were multiple times where you and I looked at each other like, what but, in the hell but, is going on? Actually, the, the thing that I kept looking at you at was uh, um, he used the phrase, I'm not being facetious a good seven times. Yes. And I was like, I never accused you of being facetious, Joe. Like, I, yeah. don't, I don't think you're being facetious. You don't have to remind me. <laughs> not a joke. Not a joke. Not a joke. That's one of his favorite ticks. Mm-hmm. But my generic point is he loves to, he, lo- he knows he's rambling and then he brings himself in on, but my generic point is, and then starts rambling again about you know the time he tied an onion to his belt because it was in fashion at the time. <laughs> uh, yeah, Nevada makes sense to me because, man, I don't know how, I don't know how you go on from here. These yeah. are these are like. Well, not- I, I, so, so, let, let me p- uh, pitch a question to you because I honestly don't know the answer to this. Okay. Um, I understand how for your campaign to exist, you need money. Yeah. For you to remain on the ballot, you don't mean money. You're already no. on the ballot. So, like, if, if, you're, um, 
if, if you are just full of will or spite or anything else, you could just hang on to the bitter end, right? Yes, so, and... So, so like, what, what is the point at which you go, I am so pinched that I have to leave? So the biggest issue is uh, you are constantly proving that you can stay viable. To be viable, you need a few things, and a lot of them happen before you even step foot in the state. Right. You need the you need the ad buy for radio and television. You need the flyers. You need the venues. You need the staff. Right. If you don't have those things walking in, then you're, you're kind of DOA. Right. Like, like you're showing up to the game without pads or, or any kind of equipment. Once you're there, you still need more money to make sure that like now that you know the facts on the ground, you're targeting the right people. So. Yes, you can stay on the ballot, but you will, and especially the media and the other campaigns will make sure the media knows that you are literally just a floundering fish and, and there will be pressure for you to get out. The biggest problem for him is he is the biggest fish in this pond. He's got the biggest name recognition, and yet he has not placed within the top three uh, and and tonight the top four of all these candidates. So he's in a in a weirder position than let's say even like a Deval Patrick or a Michael Bennett who are effectively not doing anything here and staying on the ballot. Right. In that everyone's looking around and saying, "What's Joe Biden doing?" I mean, he's still got like ten percent of the vote. So if if you're making the argument from the Pete or Klobuchar perspective, you're saying, "Dude, if you would have dropped out, almost certainly one of us would have beat Bernie." And if right now you are a never Bernie person and you are scared, your butt is puckered tight like a lemon because you're afraid of Bernie Sanders being the nominee, then there is a step one to this process of coalescing around somebody. And that is the dead weight clears and no one right now looks deader or weightier <laughs> than Joe Biden. Good point. There we go. Uh, Andrew Heaton, of course, the political orphanage. Uh, uh, any 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 final uh, thoughts on your first New Hampshire experience? I loved it here. This is a great state. It's no, you actually have like a deep spiritual uh, uh, connection with, with New Hampshire. Yeah, it's okay. Not not like as I, I like any place that's cold and foggy. I, I like cold, foggy. We found this out yeah. today. I don't know who you were talking to on the phone, but you yeah. actually like... Uh, oh, I, I went and looked up latitudes. You I looked, looked up, up latitudes, latitudes of acceptable places I would live, and in forty-two is the f furthest south I'm willing to go long term. Because you realized as you were like, like, oh man, I love this place. You want to know else I love Portland? You want to know else I love Edinburgh? And then you mm -hmm. looked up the the latitudes, and they're all within ten degrees. Yep, 40, <laughs> forty-two to fifty-five it appears to be the heat and sweet spot. Uh, yeah, no, uh, New Hampshire is great, and I also like. I, I'll tell you what. One of the things that this sort of. Um, New Hampshire further confirms a thesis I've been working on in my mind for a while, which is I think that uh, socialist, libertarian, centrist, Democrat, whatever, I think that if you have a reasonably small, affluent state, country, whatever, you yeah. can kind of do whatever you want and it'll probably work. Uh, like one of the things I was really struck by in New Hampshire is uh, just how civically engaged everybody is and how it's, it's a fairly locally control-oriented state. So like me being the, you know, limited government guy that, that doesn't believe in economic intervention, right? Like uh, I'm, I'm talking to these, you know, locals as I'm going around interviewing folks and they're, they're describing how um, uh, if they want to get a, a new, if most of the spending takes place at a, the county or municipal level, if they need yeah. to get like a new snowplow, the, the town meets up 
uh, once a year, and they debate whether or not to get a snowplow, and then all of, everybody gets up and argues about whether we should get the cheap snowplow from China or the expensive American-made snowplow, and then the following day they vote on whether or not they're going to raise taxes on it. I'm like, that like, okay, I, I'd feel a lot better about being in because because it's all property tax. Yeah, it's all right? property tax, and yeah. so it's like and like a couple a handful of fees, but it's mostly property tax. So right? so you literally, and this was, and everybody should go listen to the the political orphanage. Uh, uh, but but the way it was explained is that you all meet, and then at that point, everybody will know by the time that they leave that meeting or when they cast their vote exactly what their share is. Mm -hmm. But it is all everybody literally chipping in for pizza. Yeah. You walk away and go, okay, well, we're going to get $6 a month more on our property taxes, but the parks department gets yeah. gets new threads on its tires or whatever. I love that. And on top of that, I, I think community is really important. I feel like you get to know your neighbors. You'd understand sure. people in your town very well. It seems like there's a really good community feeling. Uh, it, it, in addition to the landscape being stunning, all of the houses are gorgeous. They're that like colonial, federal, elegant, uh, lunch pail look to them. Yeah. Uh, when I was in Portsmouth yesterday, like Portsmouth reminds me of England. I was like, oh, I get it. I get New England now. Like there's a cobblestone <laughs> street and like, you know, like, like there's little pubs and it's curvy and stuff. And I was like, this is just beautiful. So are, are you moving here? I might do. Yeah, might do. Uh, not not immediately, but it's New Hampshire, you're in my sights as a possibility for, for a, a permanent heat and resting place. There we go. So uh, uh, New Hampshire... The media might be evacuating en masse as of tomorrow, but we know at least one podcaster who will leave his heart, and it is Andrew Heaton. Go ahead and follow him at Mighty Heaton on Twitter and, of course, The Political Orphanage. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. Politics! <laughs> and, folks, literally, I'm joining you at the Logan International Airport as I'm about to get on my flight. But before we go, I want to thank everybody who makes this show possible, which the Vanguard the true, 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 amazing Titanic $10 tier is indeed Dennis, Michael, Jonathan, Brad, Adam, Olin, and Angela, Zach, Chad, Andrew, Will, Peter, Christopher, Nick, Posen, Jim, DL, Lindsay, Steven, Squids, Mixtape, Adam, D-Laser, Andy, Paul, and Mike. I don't know if y'all noticed, that list gets longer and longer every time I read it. That's because you guys are supporting this show on a level that you have never before and if you would like to join the, the folks that are making me independently fly around the country, so I'm going to tell you this. Half the people that were with the media went from Iowa to New Hampshire. I saw about half the same people. I don't think I'm going to see 10% of them in Nevada. And I'll probably see 5% of that in South Carolina. But guess who is keeping me on the road? You. Like, think about that. You're doing stuff that CNN isn't doing. You're doing stuff that MSNBC, The New York Times, Washington Post. They're not sending these kinds of boots-on-the-ground people to those battlegrounds. You are. Thank you. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. TheYoungAmerican at gmail.com. If you want to send me an email, Justin R. Young on all platforms. If you want to hit me up on social, thank you to all of our guests, uh, uh, including Andrew Heaton and... Uh, uh, the National Institute, sorry, the New Hampshire Institute of Politics. Till next time, this is your old boy, Justin Robert Young, saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more talk about politics, but this is the only one that talks about all three. three, three.
Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>